Moines. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Studios, this is 1460 KXNO. Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Hour number two, Miller and Condon with you until noon. Coming up in about, oh, 20 minutes or so, Rob Doster, NBCSports.com. We're going to get into college basketball as it is on the horizon. We'll take a look at the two needle mover conferences, the Big Ten and the Big 12 in particular with Doster. Look forward to him joining us on a weekly basis once we get into conference play. Well, we're fortunate when we get time with Scott Miller. Grateful that he's going to give us a few minutes here on the eve of game number one. The Nationals and the Astros. Scott's been all over the country chronicling these playoffs. He's in Houston for game one and two tonight. Well, not to both of them tonight, but you get my point. Scott, uh, Trent Condon and Ken Miller, thank you for coming on how are you scott hey trent hey ken uh yeah good i think uh i think we're even closer you said uh here we are on the eve yeah, well yeah, yeah. It's, it is game I, one I, think we're, yes. I lose track of uh <laughs> yeah but i think the eve might have been last night I, I, I don't know whether it's morning or night anymore with all my travels but i, I believe we're we're here finally at uh, game one of the world series with a fantastic pitching matchup i mean garrett cole and max scherzer and then in game two tomorrow night justin Verlander mm. and Steven Strasburg. This, uh, the, for people that love starting pitching, this is a throwback, delicious World Series. No doubt about it. And, I, and that's one, I mean, I'm of the belief that the Nationals could win. That in a second. Where I want to go with you, Frank, uh, Frank that was our last guest, Scott. Um, since you've been all over the country, and I know you're doing it, you're not doing it from a fan's perspective, you're there to work, but are some series play, are some cities better uh, to host playoff baseball. I'm sure they're all unique in their own right, but are some better than others when it comes to, you know, big events baseball-wise in October? Yeah, they are. There's no doubt about it. I, I, I will say this. I'll, I'll start with the team that just got bounced in the American League Championship Series, the New York Yankees. I know it's funny because I know, um, you know, so many people nationally, you know, if you're not a Yankee fan, chances are you're sick and tired of hearing about the Yankees, right? <laughs> um, but I will say as a writer, and, and it's been a while now, the Yankees, the loss this year um, means this is the first time, like, since about 1910, literally, more than 100 years, since we've now gone a dec- a full decade without the Yankees winning a World Series, because mm. their last win was 09. Um, so I know there'll be some people gleeful for that, but... <laughs> To your question about about cities, I will say this: as a as a writer, when you go into New York in October, especially when the World Series is there, oh my God, you feel like it's the World Series. Mm. I mean, it's the big stage, it's Yankee Stadium, it's roaring loud, and throughout the city, you know, the tabloids, you know, newspapers are still a thing in New York. You know, you got screaming headlines from the tabloids. People are into it. You know, that's good. Houston's good. Um, Houston, th- these people in Houston are really into their team. Um, and you can probably, I'm sure it comes through on TV. Minute Maid Park is a very, very loud place. Everybody's wearing their Astros orange. And um, it, it's Houston's become very good baseball town. I'm anxious to see Washington, D.C. because it's not been a great baseball town. Um, obviously, they've lost a handful of franchises, but... Um, I, I, did, I was not at 
the NLCS. I haven't covered a game in D.C. this year, so the first one will be you know this weekend. But um, people that were there told me that for the first time, uh, in fact, Thomas Boswell, a longtime columnist oh, sure. Washington Post, yeah, Boz uh, said to somebody the other day that 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 the other night's crowd was like the best, most passionate, most emotional he's ever seen in the city. Um, so I, uh, D.C., I think, is going to be pretty good. But, yeah, you know, the Midwestern cities are always great. Uh, the, the Chicago-Cleveland World Series in 2016 is still one of my favorites, Just not just because the storyline was obviously awesome, but, um, you know, Wrigley Field, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland is phenomenally a great baseball city. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's one nice thing. You know, you hit this point of the year, you, you start running on fumes because, you know, you so many tr- – plane flights and late nights um but then you get into a city and most of the time the electricity in that city just gives you the adrenaline to uh you know pick you right back up jose atuve has been excellent for the astros brantley a great signing bringing him over after a couple of injury wreck seasons in cleveland to finish it out there but outside of that that offense for houston hasn't been great that at least gives hope in my mind for this nationals team to make this a series we know the Astros are the prohibitive favorite, as they should be, but bats haven't been great for Houston. Maybe one of those under-the-radar things going into this World Series, in my mind. Well, yeah, you're right. And and Alex Bregman, I talked to him. I was talking to him yesterday, late afternoon, uh, at the Astros workout, and, and he was saying similar to what you're saying, that you know, he acknowledged, look, we have not been swinging the bats like usual this, this autumn. And Bregman's point is we're you know we're we're due to break out now. I think that's probably true. But the flip side of that, and to your point, is you when you get to this point in the season, you're you're facing the top pitching in the game. I mean, there's sometimes a reason why even a really good lineup's bats go quiet. And you know you're they're not look. Houston went eighteen and one this year against the Seattle Mariners. Eighteen and one. <laughs> they they ain't facing any of the Seattle Mariners pitching staff this <laughs> this All month. Right. You know, they they had the New York Yankees last round. Um, you know they've got Max Scherzer tonight. They've got Steven Strasburg the next night. They probably got Patrick Corbin the next night, unless Corbin comes in and relief one of these games. Um, they're facing really, really good pitching. So, you know, you guys might have heard since the day baseball was invented over 100 years ago, uh, good pitching usually <laughs> beats good hitting. So we'll see. You know, my, my take on this, uh, Scott, is is why can't the Nationals win? I, I get that the, uh, the Astros are a really good ball club and Garrett Cole is on a historical pace, but Max Scherzer's not chopped liver. And Scherzer's got to be using this Cole love as a, you know, as a little chip on his shoulder type thing. Not that he needs one. I think the Nationals are going to give the Astros all that they want. Am I wrong? No, you're not. Um, uh, it'll be great, great theater tonight watching Max Scherzer roaring like a lion on that mound. I love watching him pitch. He yep. is the most emotional pitcher out there. You know, some guys try to be always calm, cool, and collected. I mean, Max Scherzer is a, a ball of fire, spitfire out on that mound. You know, you'll see him scream, and, you know, you can see the passion and emotion. And, and that, when he's on the mound tonight, in front of you know forty three thousand screaming Astro fans, it, it's going to be a great, great scene. Um, so, it, it, to your point, um, 
I'll, I'll hit you with a number. It's uh, the date is somewhere in late May, around May twenty fifth, I want to say. But since that date, the Houston Astros have the best record in baseball since like whatever it is, May twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. Yankees, I believe, are second, third for the best record in baseball since that date is the Washington Nationals. Um, I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Nationals because. You know, they had a rough first two months of the season. They started 19-31. and 31. Part of it was because they were racked with injuries. You know, their leadoff hitter and shortstop, Trey Turner, broke a finger on opening day. He, he was on the sideline for much of, um, the, you know, the first six weeks. Anthony Rendon was out. Jose Soto uh, or, or Juan Soto went out on the, on, the, on the injured list. And also, while they had these injuries, their bullpen was god awful. awful. Yep. Their, their bullpen the first two months was like historically bad. It had like a seven ERA. Mm-hmm. So that all combined. Plus, a lot of people early in the year were like, "Well, they lost Bryce Harper. They're not. They're going to be worse anyway." So you combine those three things: the loss of Harper, the injuries, the horrible bullpen. They start nineteen and thirty-one. I think for a lot of baseball fans, they just kind of forgot about the Nationals. And and then, as I say, since late May, I mean, the Nationals' third best record in the game. And um, so from that perspective, this is a very good ball club. This is a dangerous ball club. And I think I think Houston's going to win. But anybody that thinks this is going to be a four-game sweep and the Nationals don't have a chance or that the Nationals can't win, um, you're going to be surprised. Scott Miller, hear that. Scott Miller joining us from Bleacher Report as we get ready for the World Series. You mentioned the bullpen, and at the end of the season, their bullpen still ranked last in baseball, even behind Baltimore and Colorado and, and some of the dregs here. But playoff baseball is built so differently, and the way that you can you know, use starting pitchers on their day that they're going to be throwing and use them in there. Of course, the strength of the front end of the rotation and how deep Scherzer and Strasburg and those guys can go into games. The bullpen, it's different here. But how big is the advantage between what Houston has and what Washington has here in the bullpens? Um, you know, it, it, Houston's had success. I mean, Houston's bullpen's pretty good. And, you know, going into their ALCS against the Yankees, people said, oh, the Yankees' strength is the bullpen. You know, they had the big names, Zach yeah. Britton, Aroldis Chapman. Houston's bullpen outpitched them. I mean, Houston's bullpen, they might not have those names like Aroldis Chapman. But Houston's bullpen is pretty good. What makes them good, among other things, it's interesting because they released their roster this morning for the second series in a row. It was the same against the Yankees. They don't even have a left-handed pitcher on their staff. Mm. They opted to go with all right-handers. And um, you know, a lot of people say, well, how can you do that? You know, Today, in today's game, is so much of it's about matchups. Well, the Astros' bullpen comes at you with a lot of different looks. And one key, Ryan Presley best curveball in the game. Now, who's ever heard of Ryan Presley unless you're like a huge, you know, hardcore baseball fan? Former twin. You know, the average. Yeah, exactly. I say that as right. a twins fan. You guys know. <laughs> you guys know. Well, yeah, I mean, Houston got him, and, you know, it looks like I think he's on the roster. Um, I'm sure he is, and good for him. Uh, he had his knee scoped in early August, and he came back late in the year, and, um, you know, it, it was nerve-wracking because the other night against the Yankees, he came in in game six, and he threw one pitch, 
and then he kind of limped off, and he he tweaked that knee again. Uh, But A.J. Hinch said yesterday he thought he was ready to go again. But I bring him up because, for example, they don't have any lefties, but here's a guy that throws a curveball from hell. I mean, this guy, best curveball in the game, Ryan Presley. Um, So that's one weapon. They've got others, you know, guys that throw a slider. You know, they give you different looks. You know, curveball guy. Submarine guy. guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Will Harris has been really, really good this, this uh, offseason. Um, so, yeah, Houston's bullpen is, is very solid. The Na- I think it's deeper and better than the Nationals. The thing with the Nationals is, in use, as you said, in the postseason, managers are able to maneuver their pitching staffs a little differently than during the season. As you said, guys like a starter maybe can come in and relief on the day he would throw between starts. Um, and the Nationals have done that very expertly they, under Davey Martinez. And, um, you know, uh, they've basically gotten through these playoffs with about six pitchers. You know, Max Scherzer. And Steven Strasburg both have worked in relief at least once. Strasburg in the uh, wild card game. Uh, Patrick Corbin, the lefty starter, who's also worked in relief. Um, Annabelle Sanchez. And then really two guys from their bullpen, their closer, Daniel Hudson and Tanner Rainey. And other than that, the other bullpen guys are kind of like non-existent this month. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scott Miller, Bleach Report. Scott, uh, last thing for you, uh, uh, who's going to be the Cubs manager? I think David Ross still, I really do. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's going to be all but done. We'll see. Um, still a lot of managerial openings. Yeah. Eight. Of course, Joe Madden is a done deal with the Angels. They're going to introduce him at a press conference on Thursday. Uh, but I, I think David Ross, I'll be surprised if it's not. Scott Miller, Bleacher Report, Game 1 of the World Series tonight. Scott, again, thank you for doing this on Game 1, live from Houston for us. We really appreciate it. BleacherReport.com, Scott Miller. Thank you, Scott. You got it, Trent. Ken, thank you, guys. Good to talk to you. Scott Miller uh, joining us, uh, Game 1. Here we go. Nationals, you said, are plus 190? Plus 190. Somebody asked me to explain that. Okay. And we probably should because when... So this this was what essentially means if you want to bet the if you want to bet the Nationals if you bet a hundred dollars you're going to make a hundred and ninety if they win so if you want to do it ten if you bet ten you'll make nineteen you'll get twenty nine dollars back all told yeah when you go back and cash your ticket or goes back into your account you get your original investment back plus your nineteen but if you want to bet Houston and you want to make that hundred dollars you got to bet two twenty. Just to make a hundred, or if you want to bet, you want to make ten. You got to bet twenty-two to make ten. That's where it comes in. So that's a, that's the difference when it comes. It's to a money huge, line. huge. Trent, the Nationals are the play, man. At that price, absolutely. At that price, I yes. look at. I think the Astros deserve to be favorites. Yes, but at that price, with those two studs, well, so the Astros got some they good pitching. Yeah, Cole Verlander. Hello, uh, we will. Uh, let's do this. Rock Oscars coming up. But before that. It jumped the gun there a little bit. Sorry about that. That's all right. It's time to put another $1,000 in your bank account, your bold bankroll, your sports betting account. Holiday season's coming up. Wherever you can use the grand, we're going to give you an opportunity. Just text the keyword SUPER 
to 200-200 right now. Super to 200-200 right now. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. We've been spanning the world of sports today. NFL, MLB, and how about some college hoops next with Doster. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. 1460 KXNO. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. College basketball season creeping closer by the day. Wanted to get one of our regulars during college basketball season, and as Doster agreed to join us again, starting in co- every Monday, is have you? He, I, I threw it out to he's him. Still and he negotiating said, or bring it on? He's Perfect. ready for it. Rob Doster's a good man, even yes, if he, he is. You know, he deals with people like Matt Norlander, Travis Hines. He's got. Now that, that group of college basketball writers is a little goofy. Doster's one of the good ones, though. Indeed he is, and he we have him right now as he joins the program, and we're going to give him as much time as he wants. Remember, he gets crabby he does, yeah. when we cut him off yeah, after yeah. 10 minutes. Uh, the, the stage is set, Rob Doster. Good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. I'm doing great. And I, I'm just... I'm happy that we only got qualified as a little bit goofy, because I think that <laughs> most people would... Uh, would use a different term there to uh, to describe us. So a little bit goofy works for me. That sounds very kind. Well, I saw your uh, buddy Norlander, who we also have on, not nearly as often as you because he can be unsolvable at times, but he ranked every team, <laughs> one through 353. That's an exercise in futility if I've ever heard it. I have no idea how he finds <laughs> the energy or, uh, really? or determination to do that. Like uh, He spends like weeks, maybe months on it, just talking to coaches and trying to make it as accurate <laughs> as possible. And... I just I don't I don't know why I don't have any interest in doing that I don't have any interest in reading it, uh, but I'll probably go in there and check it out and, and yell at him about somebody that he ranked too low just uh, because it's fun to do that and it's fun to troll Norlander. So anybody listening, I would encourage you to go on Twitter, find that link and uh, and get on him about where he ranked any team. Doesn't matter who it is, just get on there and get. Uh, and, 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 you know, make fun of him a little bit. Well, in the state of Iowa, he's got Drake at 153, you and I at 131, Iowa at 59, and number 34, Iowa State. So plenty of fuel, I think, mm-hmm. for every one of those fan bases to go after it's Norlander. It's baffling that you can have Drake anywhere outside of the top 100. It, it is, it is. After what DeVries did in year number one, I don't get it. Well, what we do want to get, though, is your perspective on the two state schools here, the big ones, Iowa and Iowa State, because, Rob, I'll tell you, it's... It's difficult for both of these teams to get a real good read of what they're going to do. Let's start at the top. Iowa State, many people believe, at the very least, is an NCAA tournament team. But I'm going to keep it open-ended. What you see with this year's Cyclones team? I think that they're going to end up being pretty good. You know, they. they it, I think Tyrese Halliburton is going to end up taking a step forward. I think that um, they have enough pieces coming in. Like getting the, uh, the Penn State transfer yeah, to get eligible yep. is certainly going to help them. Um, and, and honestly, like I think that clearing house a little bit and getting rid of some of the the pieces that they had last season, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a ne- negative. You know, if you look at the talent that they had on the roster, uh, they probably were what maybe like the second best team in the Big Twelve last season. I thought that they were mm-hmm. very very good. Yep. And I don't think that they came anywhere close to living up to expectations. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that. Uh, Things just didn't fit well um, at Iowa State last season. And while I don't think that they have 
the same level of talent this year. I don't think that their ceiling is the same as what their ceiling would have been last season. Like I, I probably would have said that I, Iowa State, like if they played their best game, was a top ten team in the country last year. And I don't think that you can say the same thing about this team. But I do think that we're probably going to see a little bit more consistency. I do think that they're probably going to end up being uh, a little bit more of a um, a team that is, is is easier to watch, if that makes sense. Like I don't think that we're going to see as much hero ball maybe as we did last year. And it just seems like it, the the group is going to fit together a little bit better this season than they did last year. You know, I don't know. I know Lindell Wigginton kind of acclimated to that bench role. I don't know how much he fully embraced being the sixth man. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that things just make more sense this year with that group. You know, did win the Big 12 tournament last year, but I I, I get your point. And Horton Tucker at the end uh, of the game, um, at the end of the season, wasn't on the floor, and he's in the NBA. Um, so, I- interesting take. I'm with you. I think Bolton's a huge addition. Halliburton, everybody thinks he's this is his final year in Ames. Everybody, meaning f- uh, folks that cover the uh, NBA in, in uh, for a living. So, we'll come back to the Big 12 in a second, but let's do Iowa, and then we'll, well do likewise said, uh, with the one, Big 10. One note, like, I think that I think that them winning the Big 12, just that, that kind of – to me, that that that's the whole point is that they can come together and they can right. go out and they can go on the run that they did and beat a team like Baylor, beat a team like Kansas State, beat a team like Kansas, um, and win the the Big Twelve tournament. But they also lost five of their last six mm-hmm. in, uh, in in regular season play, and, and I think it was what like six of their last eight. They lost three in a row down the stretch. Uh, for a while there, they were kind of right there in the mix as one of the teams that could end up, um, you know, hanging with Texas Tech and hanging with Kansas State and having a chance to. Uh, win at least a share of the Big 12 title, and then everything just kind of collapsed before they turn around and go out and actually win um, win a Big 12 tournament and then lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So they were kind of a team that, that was up and down and inconsistent. And I think this year, I don't think they're going to be as good as they could have been when they were at their best last season. Like I don't think that they have that level of NBA talent, but I do think that they're going to be more consistent and uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think you're going to have less. Uh, it's going to be less stressful watching them this season if you're an Iowa State fan because you're kind of you're going to go in with expectations that are a little bit lower, knowing more of what to expect. And um, yeah, <laughs> I think the disappointment is going to be a little bit less when you take a loss. This yeah, it went into like Lubbock last year, knocked off Texas Tech. Man, mm-hmm. I think they'd only lost once, right? Uh, Duke of Kentucky, one of the blue bloods. Anyways, uh, let's move on. Let's do Iowa, then we'll come back to the Big Ten and Big 12 overall. But when you look at the Hawks, uh, what do you see, Rob Doster? So I'm a little bit torn on them because on the one hand, you know, they're losing, what is it, two of their top four scorers and – uh, I don't. Do we have clarity on when Jordan sure. is going to be back yet? Like, I, as far as I know, um, that is something where it's kind of up in the air, yeah. and there's a chance that he could end up being out for the season. Yeah. So when you basically lose like three of your top four guys, that's tough. That's tough to come back from. Um, that said, you know, I'm a big Luca Garza guy. You know, he doesn't look like someone that's going to be a really good basketball player, but then he comes out and like he's knocking down threes and he's got post moves. And he looks goofy when he runs, but he he probably plays harder than anybody else whenever he's on the floor. I think Joe Wieskamp is a guy that is probably going to take a step forward. Like someone's got to score for them. And if there's one thing that that he can do on a basketball court, it's score, it's shoot the ball. So I would not be surprised to see him kind of be a guy that averages like 17 or 18 points a game. Um, I think the both of the McCaffrey kids probably uh, take a little bit of a step forward this season. 
Um, and, and, you know, I, I think the younger one, I can't remember his name. Patrick. Patrick, kind of, yeah. Yeah, Patrick kind of fills that role, like, at the four spot, where I think it allows him to be a little bit more uh, difficult to match up with and a little bit more versatile and a little more lineup versatility than they've had um, in past seasons. Like, if you want, you can play Garza and Kreiner together and go real big, or you can put, like, both the McCaffrey's out there with Wee's camp, and, and, you know, you're going to be smaller and have more shooting on the floor. So, um, I think that there is reason to be a little bit bullish. I don't know how they're ever going to get a stop. Like I, I think it's going to kind of feel like the, <laughs> yep. like the the worst McCaffrey teams where we're talking about them. You look up in February and they like rank 250th in, in defensive efficiency on Kempom, but they're going to be able to score. Man, they got shooters, they got talented uh, bigs. They, I, I think McCaffrey. You know, I, I'm not. I, I would say I'm probably not his biggest fan as a coach, but I do think that he's going to find a way to be able to be able to allow the team to get some buckets. So uh, expect a lot of games that get played in the 80s. Um, and on the nights when you give up 90, you're probably not going to win too many. But on the nights when, you know, the team you're playing shoots two for 18 from three, you're probably going to get some wins. So I think that they have a, a tournament trip kind of in their range of outcomes. I don't think I would necessarily bet on it. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I don't think they're as bad off. The more that I look at the roster, I don't think they're as bad off as I thought they were going to be. And then I, I don't – Talk to me about this redshirt kid. Nunji? Jack yeah, Nunji? Huge. Put on a bunch of weight. I thought he was better. There were times, and I think Trent would agree with me, that when uh, when Garza and Nunji were both true freshmen, that Nunji looked like the his ceiling was higher. Mm-hmm. And then the next week it was, oh, but no, I was wrong. Garza's better. Then they'll come back again. You, Trent? Garza's terrible defensively. Nunji at least has a pulse on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. He can step out. He can shoot it. The problem is McCaffrey at times his freshman year tried to play him at the three. He's not a three. He, he's a four and he can play five in a pinch but he's not a three. Freya gets into that too much though and that's I think a different conversation but he's a nice piece. He can help them out but we get into the same conversation with Iowa seemingly every year. Got a lot of big guys. Don't have the guards probably to compete. Yeah and you know maybe if they had Jordan Bahana I think it might help a little bit um, but, uh, you know, like I said, they have plenty of guys that can shoot it. They have plenty of, of ways to space the floor offensively. They have big guys that can take advantage of the fact that you can space the floor. And, you know, I, I'm not necessarily as worried about the guard play as, as you guys might be. It's just I don't think that they're going to be able to get stops. I mean, like, yeah. You look at that roster, and I don't know who you can point to and say, okay, he is going to be um, a plus defender. He's going to be someone that we can trust to – put on Cassius Winston, or that we can trust to slow down somebody like an Aaron Wiggins at Maryland, who I think is going to have a big year. Mm-hmm. You know, even Luca Garza, like, I, I just, thinking about him going up against Caleb Wesson and trying to stop Caleb Wesson is not something that I think is going to be all that comfortable. You got guys like uh, the, the DJ Carton kid coming into Ohio State is raw, but just thinking about someone with that kind of athleticism and skill set being guarded by, like, Connor McCaffrey just, uh, is the kind of thing that um, if I were the Iowa head coach, I probably would be kept up uh, sleepless at night thinking and worrying about that. Uh, Joshua Lankward out until February for Michigan State. You did your fatal flaw on the top 25. It's a great read. I encourage everybody, if you're a college basketball fan, uh, NBC Sports, collegebasketball.nbcsports. Um, it, it's, it's a great website. You guys do a terrific job over there. Uh, so let's do the Big Ten overall. Michigan State, of course, right there up at the top. Uh, number one team preseason in the country by, by most people. Conference overall, though, Rob, give us a couple of teams uh, that you're going to keep an eye on. Well, I, I mean, other than Michigan State, I think um, the obvious choices are 
probably Maryland and Ohio State. You know, I think that they are, uh, I think the consensus, like, second and third best team in that league. I'm not really sure how, where other people uh, kind of rate them. Um, you know, Illinois has gotten some hype in this, this preseason, and I'm 100% aboard the Illinois bandwagon. Uh, you know, the way that they play, um, kind of getting out and, and pressuring and passing lanes and forcing turnovers, uh, I think that they have plenty of athletic guards and athletic wings, especially with Iota Single coming back. Uh, and they had this kid, Kofi Coburn, in the middle, who uh, I'm a little bit kind of playing wait and see to see what kind of impact he can have because he's not the most mobile guy in the world. But he's like 6'11 and 280 pounds of block shots and rebounds. And if you look at some of Illinois' defensive numbers, like that was their big weakness last year. And, and part of it is just the byproduct of the way that they play. Um, but having a big body in the paint can help uh, mitigate some of that. So I think that that is um, how he kind of impacts games for him, I think, is certainly an X factor. Uh, Purdue is always a team that, that I think you need to keep an eye on. I just I have so much respect for Matt Painter and the way that he's able to figure out what his teams do well and figure out the ways that he can kind of take advantage of mismatches. Like I, I was trying to think about it today. Um, who, who are the guys that I think are going to be breakout players in the Big Ten and, and for Purdue? And you, know, you kind of go through the list, and it's like, yeah, well, he's going to find ways to get Nojo Eastern in the post against smaller point guards. But then you also got Aaron Wheeler, who's six foot ten and can hit threes, and then you know is more athletic than they've had uh, big guys at Purdue in the past. But Trevion Williams can kind of bury people in the post, and he's really good. And you know, I think that Matt Harms is a guy that kind of gets underrated in his ability to, to score the paint and, and kind of how skilled he is. And you kind of go down the list, and there's like four or five guys where you can identify a skill, and it's like, yo, that painter's going to find a way to make that work for him. So I'm in on Purdue. Uh, and the last one is, you know, it kind of depends on Franz Wagner and what mm-hmm. happens um, with his – was it a hand or a foot? I can't remember. He broke something. Uh, maybe it was a wrist. He, he broke something. And, you know, if he can come back and he's healthy by the time Big Ten play rolls around, I'm kind of in on, on Michigan. You know, I think that Xavier Simpson is a guy that uh, can let that team kind of run on its own. And I think John Teske is super underrated in terms of, you know, how good he is defensively and what he could do on the offensive end of the floor. Isaiah Livers is going to be a guy that takes a big step forward this year. But overall, like when it comes to these NBA guys, uh, Juwan Howard, Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing, um, you know, play, guys like that, I'm always more worried about Penny. how they acclimate. To, yeah, Penny, like how they acclimate to um, the job that, like being a head coach at a college basketball program, like what you're required to do. You know, I think probably like 30 or 40% of your job as a head coach at a college basketball program is the actual coaching, as opposed to like meeting with boosters and doing your radio show and uh, like showing your face here and there and recruiting and getting out on the road and doing all of that. Whereas, you know, Juwan Howard spent six years in the NBA on Eric Spolster's bench and Literally 100% of his job was coaching. Maybe some of it was uh, connecting with the players, and you know, maybe if someone got screamed at by Spolstra, he's going to help go build this guy up, and you know, he's got to do some scouting, and I'm sure that he's got like individual drills and all that kind of stuff that he has to do. But it's all about basketball and developing players and coming up with game plans and watching film and and, and doing all of that kind of stuff. And I'm always more worried about how the how guys coming from the NBA level adjust to what it's required of a college basketball coach than I am about their ability to actually draw up game plans and figure out scouts and um, kind of break down the way that they, you know, where you have mismatch advantages and all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of think that Michigan has been uh, a little bit undervalued this year. I don't think that they're a top 25 team, but I don't think that, I think they got more like two votes 
in the preseason top 25 poll, and that just seems kind of uh, like an over um, an overcorrection to me. So I, I'm 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 in on Michigan based on what their preseason expectations are. Rob from the Big Ten, let's jump to the Big Twelve. I was uh, looking at uh, Ken Palm as his preseason rankings came out, and uh, he has the projections up. So this is how the conference plays out according to his numbers. Every team ranked between Kansas, the top at number 10 nationally. The last place team, West Virginia at 59. Projected season mm-hmm. results. Kansas and Baylor tie for the conference crown at 11-7. and seven. Last place, what? West Virginia at 7-11. and 11. Ten teams all really close together here. What a race this Big 12 could be this year. Yeah, the, I don't... I don't know if I fully agree with, uh, no, with Ken Palm's projections no, yeah. here, and and I don't know like how it how um, the fact that like Oshaya Baji uh, was like activated midway through the year, and how Yudoka has a book injury and him coming back. Like I don't I don't know how that affects the projections, but to me, Kansas is the clear cut favorite. And once you get past that, then I can kind of get on board with like whatever order you mm-hmm. want to put these teams in. You know, I, I've heard. I'm I'm high on Texas. I think I would probably have Texas as like the second or third best team in the conference, uh, just with like the, the guys they got coming back. The fact that Shaka's kind of has like a team that's a little bit more experienced and a little bit more veteran. The fact that they went out and they hired Luke Yachwich, and we know they're going to be great defensively. They got some shooting, so I'm in on Texas. Baylor's going to be good. Texas Tech is going to be interesting if Jamie is Ramsey. Um, I you know he's a freshman they got coming in. I've heard mixed reviews about how he's. Uh, kind of acclimating to being a freshman at Texas Tech. You know, I think this is the first time that Chris Beard has dealt with bringing in a player of his, uh, of that caliber and trying to get him to buy into this idea of uh, play for the team, sacrifice, blah, 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 everything that he prefers within that program. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Um, you know, and I think the bottom of the league is, is a little bit worse than maybe people realize. Like, I would not be surprised to see the Big 12 get like five bids this year. I think, you know, you're looking at Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, um, Texas, and Iowa State. And then after that, like West Virginia, I'm not sold on. Oklahoma State's going to be interesting, but they still have a lot to prove. Um, TCU lost like half of their roster to transfer. Mm -hmm. Kansas State, you know, it it just. Coach wanted to leave. Dixon didn't want to be there. Dixon didn't want to be there. And the Kansas State, you know, you lose Dean Wade and Barry Brown. I just, I don't know what they end up doing offensively. So Oklahoma, like, I. Look at that roster, man. What, is there anybody on that roster that actually scares you? The only guy that scares you on that roster is Brady Manick when he, when he shows up looking like Larry Bird. And that's about it. <laughs> so um, the, the Big 12 to me is, is Kansas and then everybody else. And, and I would love to know like how how the Jayhawks ended up only getting projected 11-7 and seven in the conference uh, based on Ken Palm's algorithm. That just that seems seems very low to me. I'm and not buying under, Like, if I can find a betting line really? where they're saying, like, over-under <laughs> the Kansas 11 wins in the Big 12. Give me some like, of that, yeah. Clear my bank accounts and put it all on that. I'm with you. Rob Doster, uh, NBC Sports College Basketball Top. Good to reconnect with you, Rob. Look forward to doing this on a weekly basis once the calendar turns, and we'll do so periodically here uh, as we get some really good non-con. And it will be here before we know it. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, guys. Good to talk to you. Rob Doster, NBCSports.com. Buying what he's selling? Top, f- so. top five in the Big 12? I don't... Yeah, I'm, I kind of see it the same way. I think he identified the right five teams. Kansas, Baylor... Tech. Tex- he likes Texas. Oh, boy. I like what they did bringing in Yaklich. Yep, because he's a defensive guru. 
And they needed that. They did. I like the talent, but I've been burned so many times from Texas. Yes. I've been burned by them too many times. Uh I'm out. If I had a choice, who do you trust more, Texas Tech or Texas? Oh, Texas Tech. Right. Better for the doubt because Uh we've seen it. Who's more talented? They almost cut down the net. Well, you were there. I have to remind you. Texas. Texas is more talented. But who would I trust more is Texas Tech? I'm with you. Uh, well, we got to get a break in here. We'll come back, finish out the program. It's Miller and Condon here until noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 14th Store. Streaming live from coast to coast on iHeartRadio, this is 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Let's clear out the notebook here, Trent. A couple of things. Uh, Mark Morehouse on Twitter, and I'm assuming um, Emirate and Leistikow and everybody else is mm-hmm. up in uh, Iowa City today, Doc, etc. Sounds like Brandon Smith will not play against Northwestern. Yep, didn't show up on the depth chart yesterday, right. and it, it's not where he twisted an ankle. He got hit with the helmet mm-hmm. on the ankle, but... Who knows what kind of bone bruise that's going to be. And that was the talk after the game, right? Is they, they think they got lucky. They think it's only a bone bruise. Mm-hmm. But doesn't sound as though he's going to play against Northwestern. Then they get the bye, which, you know, a couple of weeks uh, before mm-hmm. they get back, I think it's the right thing. If they, um, if indeed that's the way they go, and I believe they will. They have depth at wide receiver yes, they once. do. Oliver Martin hasn't seen the field. That nope. should change this week, at least you would think. Uh, Kenyon Martin, Tom Caker told us this. On Friday, yes, he's got twin boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were both pay- taking a visit this past weekend to uh, Iowa, and the twins are going to be Hawks. They are. They made their commitment yesterday. You know, I have been very much in the Fran McCaffrey corner. There are things that I get annoyed with as him as a coach, but overall, mm-hmm. can't get annoyed with the scheduling mission. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> or maybe you can because can, this, yes, again. this isn't the year to do it. You can because it was never about his overall non-conference schedule. This is what you or Tom Caker and many people missed. It was about the bye games, the number of bye games, and the terrible teams that he played in the bye games. That still hasn't changed. But that aside, they get Kenny Murray's kids, which mm-hmm. on the surface great. Mm-hmm. Kenny Murray was a great Hawkeye. He was a mm-hmm. McDonald's All-American. His kids are not McDonald's All-Americans. Well, where, who did they beat to get him? Well, they took visits last year as high school seniors. They're in prep school this year. Mm-hmm. To Mankato State, now Minnesota State. Okay. They don't have any other it's a hockey di- school. They don't have any other Division One offers. Oh, and not only if these two kids were walking on, great, but to give not one, but obviously they're twins, two scholarships to what can be best described as. So you think he reached reaches, not one but two scholarships for that. The other commitment they got the day before from Tony Perkins. Best offer was New Mexico. Mm. Aaron Eulis, Tyler Eulis's mm-hmm. little brother, the yep. one's taller. Best offer was DePaul. This is the makings of your four-man recruiting class right now. Two kids that didn't have a D1 offer. A kid that you beat out the back for. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Eulis, who you beat out DePaul for, who hasn't been good. It's been terrible. Since Quentin Richardson was there. Right. It's been, been awful. That's your four-man recruiting class. You better hope that Xavier Foster is also coming. You better hope that there's another name on there because you bring in a recruiting class of four, five, six kids and not a top 150 player among them. I would try this four or five years ago. It did not go well. It's scary. 
Uh, you could be. Yeah, but I, I didn't realize the offers were uh, that lacking, uh, if you will. All right, what are you going to do tonight? Going to play the Natties. Are you going to play them in the series and play them in game one? I believe so. Also going to look. I, I got to look closer. I think I'm going on the over, though, in the first Yeah, what, five. what was the to- what's the total overall Because I think it's three. The total in the game is seven. Seven, yeah, something like that. I like those first fives. I think we will see a few runs earlier. Though than anticipated. I just hope it's a long series because I'm not ready yes. for baseball to end. I love it. Stretch this thing absolutely. Out as Take long it the distance, which would be next Wednesday, right? Is that one game I seven think it would is. be? So two and three or one and two are Tuesday, Wednesday. Then three games: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Travel day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So next Wednesday, if it goes October thirtieth, which is stupid beggars, beggars night. night. That's all right. We got no kids. We're no kids come to your for, house? We're prepared for 50, 60 of them. We haven't got one in the last three years. <laughs> but we're ready. Give out your address on air. You'll get uh, plenty. No, thanks. We will uh, be back tomorrow at 10. Murph and Andy come your way at 2. Fanatics at 4. Hockey talk tonight. The Iowa Wild Hockey Show comes up. Hockey gone wild at 7. Then tomorrow morning, the morning rush will start it all over at 6 a.m. Miller and Condon, thanks for being with us. We're on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO.